Hey there, I'm Jeremy with Good Beer Matters. First, thank you for listening to the Good Beer Matters podcast, where we explore the craft and culture of beer. Second, I want to see the beer and hospitality industries improve so we can do a better job, make more money, and so guests can have exceptional experiences. Good Beer Matters is dedicated to the pros and enthusiasts in the beer industry because we are the ones who will make it better. To that end, I want to invite you to subscribe to my monthly newsletter where I share perspectives on beer, styles, pairing, and some practical beer education. Go to goodbeermatters.net to subscribe. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. In the Netherlands uh, has, I guess from in the 80s, was a bit of a wasteland concerning beer. We wanted to bring something original and we wanted to, to bring the passion from the smaller craft brewers. I like a craft beer that has a story. So either there's some history behind it from the brewery or the beer itself. Once upon a time, American brewers traveled to Europe, rediscovered beer and became inspired. They came home and started the craft beer revolution, disrupting the homogenous macro brew industry. Approximately 30 years later, they returned the favor. My next guest tells his story of infusing American craft into the Dutch beer culture. We find great experiences at the intersection of craft and culture. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. For the craft and culture of beer, this is episode 127 of Good Beer Matters with Michiel Anima of All Kinds of Beers. Today we get to jump back into the Good Beer Matters virtual tour around the world. And uh, for this episode, uh, I, I wish I were there in person. Uh, you just showed me a wonderful beer I wish I could uh, try, but we're going all the way to the Netherlands uh, with my new friend Michiel, uh, who. Um, who does a lot of uh, things with beer in there, but I'm going to, Michiel, please, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on to the uh, Good Beer Matters podcast. Will you please formally, uh, much better than I did, introduce yourself and tell us what you do in beer in the Netherlands? Uh, well, hello, Jeremy. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's uh, it's an honor. And um, I'm the founder, co-founder of All Kinds of Beers, and we import uh craft beer from the United States uh, to the Netherlands. And um, well, we've been doing that since 2017. Uh, so uh, well, and I'm going to start with this because this is just fun. Uh, so if when we're recording this, it's my morning. Uh, so I, yeah. I just recently finished off my my espresso. But it's but of course, it's your evening and you're already uh, uh, starting a happy hour. Uh, will you show us that bottle that you just showed me um, and, and tell us oh, about yes. it? Uh, so um, I'm drinking uh, a beer from a brewery called Kex. It's a Dutch brewer and they're they're very young brewer. I think they're about a year old. And uh, this is a Kvijk pale ale. And Kvijk is an original Norwegian yeast um, of, of uh, farmhouse yeast. And mm-hmm. uh, the the this is a pale ale. It's it's really um, it's an American style pale, ale, so it has the uh, the hoppy fruitiness, 
but in the aftertaste you get a bit of uh, uh, more bitterness but with an earth with earthy tones so yeah. uh, it's it's like in layers and it is a very original interesting beer uh i i, I didn't have a, a kvaik uh farmhouse beer but uh but it, it was a farmhouse beer from a local brewery from where i am in last night and it just it just reminded me how much i love those beers and how easy drinking they are but yet uh yeah, they're they're very thought provoking if 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 we allow them to. But uh, just, just to, I want to get a, I want to get to know you a little bit more. I want my audience to get to know you a little bit more. Tell us about uh, how you came to beer as a profession and as a passion. Um, well, my beer passion actually started in the United States. Um, I've always been interested in uh, beer, but. Um, when I was young, growing up, um, and started drinking beer, um, there wasn't much else than Pilsner and maybe some uh, Belgian Blondes, and that was it. And uh, when I visited my uh, my friend and business partner Carlo in uh, North Carolina um, in the night in the uh, early 2000s, um, I noticed that um, like. Uh, there was a whole lot of beer available, which I didn't know. Never heard of India Pale Ale, uh, never heard of um, Brown Ale, and um, so I started drinking um, New Belgium uh, Fat Tire, and mm -hmm. that kind of uh, hooked me on craft beer. So that, uh, I, when I I remember uh, that was one of the beers that that enamored me especially in the 90s you know the 90s that was the go-to beer and and i remember thinking that this is so much better than what uh what my father was drinking when i was a kid and um mm. it's funny how I, I look back at all the beers that kind of influenced me and inspired me to do what i do now and fat tire was one of those uh beers uh in the early part of my uh, beer drinking life when I was legally drinking, I should say, uh, that it was just like, wow, this is good. I need to find more of this. Yeah. Well, I actually did. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but, and I uh, fat tire is a very accessible beer. Uh, and especially if you compare to an IPA, if you never drink a beer like an IPA and you're mm -hmm. used to Pilsner and used to, um, uh, Belgium style beers, like you take your first take a sip of an IPA, you think, "Oh, that's bitter." <laughs> no, never again. And then, like yeah. later, you start appreciating the the hoppy uh, and fruity tones. And um, so, and I did. And when I came back to the Netherlands, uh, I couldn't find any IPAs over there. So uh, at first, I started home brewing, and then later, um, a Scottish brand got introduced to the Dutch market called Brewdog. I think they're very uh, famous at the moment, but they were yeah. then. And well, they had an IPA, and that's, uh, I guess, that's how it started in the Netherlands. So, at, at uh, least for so, IPAs. Well, how did you go from being in the US and drinking a fat tire to now uh, you are a um, co owner of a, uh, in, uh, of a beer import, uh, import company? Excuse me. Uh, Oh, um, in uh, in the nineties, like the, the the there was more interest in, in uh, craft beer, but not mainly American uh, beers. 
but in two, uh, the early 2000s, um, people started getting interested into India Pale Ales and into bourbon barrel aged stouts. And those came from the United States. And so there were more import uh, businesses who started to import beer from the United States. But I couldn't find any beer from North Carolina. And that's where I got my uh, craft beer experience from. And I thought, well, maybe it's an idea to start doing something for North Carolina beers. So um, we made a business plan and we started talking to some brewers. And that's how it started. Hey there, it's Jeremy. Are you looking to level up your career in beer? The majority of people in the world seeking Cicerone certifications lean on the Beer Scholar to achieve their goals. As many of you know, I became an advanced Cicerone in 2021. I joined a study group to help me and others pass that rigorous test. The leaders of that group are now working with the Beer Scholar to offer an advanced Cicerone coaching program coming in June of 2023. If you want to improve your education and lead in the beer industry, then go to thebeerscholar.com to learn more. So, but why just North Carolina? Why why not the eastern part of the U.S. or beyond? Well, we didn't want to wanted to limit ourselves to uh, North Carolina, uh, but we thought it was logistically uh, easy to start with just state one state. Um, because of the distances uh, in the United States. So if you would have one brewer from Virginia and one brewer from North Carolina, one brewer from uh, Kentucky, um, it would take a whole lot of uh, transport to consolidate. And what we did is we wanted to consolidate uh, beer from multiple brewers into one container uh, so we could bring uh, smaller batches of beer from small independent brewers so, um, uh, without uh, putting a strain on their production. Okay. And so th- that was just the simple logistics of a, of a small business of we're going to start here and then, and then we'll take over the world, right? Yes. We wanted to bring something original and we want to, to bring the passion from the smaller craft brewers who are in fault from the start uh, of the beer till the end of the process. Um, and with like larger breweries, uh, usually that isn't the case. I mean, they have staff and they make the beers and the brewer themselves could be in the office the whole day. And yeah. uh, we specifically wanted to bring the passion that a, a small brewery brings to his beer. And, and so now you're bringing these uh, these beers into the Netherlands to uh, share that love of beer, specifically from North Carolina. But you're but uh, but you're sharing that with the rest of your fellow beer drinkers in in the Netherlands, correct? Uh, well, we did. Um, at the moment, we do not import any beers from North Carolina, um, and that's like uh, since uh, COVID. Uh, oh, okay. We had a lockdown and. Uh, like we took a bite out of a company and then we had to move to smaller shipments and we could only do that to cooperate with an exporter from the United States. And they do currently not have any beers from North Carolina. So uh, at the moment we only work with some breweries from Colorado. Okay. So, but, but still you're bringing beers in from the U S into the Netherlands to, yes. so, so 
I want to, I want to hold on to that thought just for a second. Um, it, I want to help me understand a little bit more about the, the, the cultural beer history. I mean, specific to beer, but I mean, cause I'm sure the history would just be vast and, and long, uh, but tell me about the history of beer in, in the Netherlands. I mean, that led up to this point where you're bringing beer in from the U.S. Uh, uh, well, um, in the Netherlands, uh, has I guess from in the 80s was a bit of a wasteland for concerning beer. Um, I guess in the, the early 80s, uh, I think we had under 20 breweries in the Netherlands, and they all brewed Pilsner. And there were some Belgian beers available and some German beers, but that was it. Um, and then uh, in the Netherlands, more people started to get interested in craft beer and some people who wanted to bring back some uh, uh, and to, to keep some Dutch beer culture. So uh, some people started home brewing. Um, uh, most of them started with Belgium style beers. And then it moved up from from other style beers, and uh, like I say, the, in the eighties, the culture and I guess the most popular beer in the Netherlands still is Pilsner. But if you look at how much things have changed from the eighties till now, um, there's more than eight hundred breweries in the Netherlands at the moment, and they make a wide variety of beers from. Uh, Belgium, German styles, uh, some uh, forgotten uh, Dutch style beers, some, um, and I guess most brewers are inspired by the current craft beer scene that's popular in the United States. So a lot of um, IPAs, a lot of stouts and um, pastry stouts, and some bourbon barrel aged stouts. So back in the eighties, uh, you know, it, it's like the the world beer culture. There, there were a lot of parallels it seems uh because the, the you know us had our prohibition that affected us and only us um in a very direct way but but by the time we got to the 70s and 80s everyone had their mass-produced lager what were the big companies uh that were producing this this mass-produced lager in the netherlands at that point um uh, heineke uh, was the, the the biggest and still is and uh, you had some smaller breweries, um, and most of them are, were uh, taken over by Heineken or uh, already part of Heineken, and some independent. And then I think one is part of AB InBev. So you had Heineken, Amstel, um, Hertog Jan, and I don't know the other brands by heart. Mm. But but essentially, so you had these big brands that were producing the the bulk of the beer, the lion's share of the beer. Yeah. But but it, it, about what time frame, what what year, give or take, did the 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 craft beer renaissance emerge in the Netherlands? Um, I think it kind of went in two phases. So in the the, the end of the eighties, um, there was there were already more. Beers available in the Netherlands uh, than in the early 80s, but I guess mostly then still from from Belgium and Germany. And in 2000, I get uh, more uh, Dutch breweries started to um, in it, oh, actually the 90s more Dutch breweries 
started to uh, brew their beers on a larger scale so they could only also uh, be brought to um, supermarkets um, for instance uh, one of the more famous is a brewery called Jopen uh, hmm. They make a whole wide variety of beers, but also uh, they, they brought back some uh, forgotten Dutch beer styles, such as Hoppenbeer and uh, Koit, which is uh, a Gruet style beer. And I, 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 I'm not aware of these. You never heard so of these? Uh, I, I've heard of Gruet beers, but I've never heard of these specifically Dutch beers tell 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 us more about them um coit well, like? is a um uh, actually a gruit style beer and it has gale in it and gale has a is a bit of a mythical herb from which they say it's uh only wise to be uh harvested by naked witches uh, during full moon I'm not sure if that's true, but <laughs> um, that makes for a great it's uh, a, marketing story, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, apparently Gruert also is a natural aphrodisiac, so uh, it's an interesting beer. <laughs> and so, um, so you have that, and you have alcohol going. That I can I can see where that would lead. Yeah, uh, and uh, Hoppen beer uh, is, uh, I guess, uh, also a beer recipe um, from somewhere in 1500. And it was one of the first beers made by hop. Uh, so a, a recipe of a, one of the first uh, beers brewed with hop uh, in the town of Harlem. Hey there, it's me, Jeremy, again. I forgot to mention that I also have a podcast with my dear friend, the incredible Julia Hers. Together, we've created the Sense of Beer Style podcast. It's the essential training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. We created episodes to cover foundational beer knowledge, as well as style cast to walk you through each category of the 2021 BJCP Beer Style Guidelines. If you work with beer as part of your job, then subscribe and listen so you can become an authority. Go to senseofbeerstyle.com to subscribe. So before that, other... all beers were made by uh, made with gourd, but not with hops. Are are there a lot of uniquely Dutch beers like the ones you just mentioned, or are there just like the, the two you mentioned, and or are there just a few? Um, there are more, but uh, um, one of them that comes to mind is is called uh, Maastricht's Eid, or Old uh, Maastricht, um, which is. Um, uh, a oak aged beer from three and a half percent, which is, uh, I think, slightly similar to uh, Flemish uh, red. Okay, so, so it's, uh, it's, are it's, these are these beers that you can still find today? Well, th those are the beers you can actually find. Um, I mean, um, th th there's some more recipe uh, that probably have been forgotten, but no one like tried to remake them or doesn't know how to. So these are uniquely Dutch styles of beer that, you know, when you go to the Netherlands, you can still find them, enjoy them and try them. Yes. Right. But like in, in limited, limited amounts, I guess. I mean, they're not very right. popular, but um, the breweries, they, uh, they go through a lot of efforts to maintain the style. 
That's great. I I'm not a, I'm not aware of this. I I can't wait to someday you know knock on wood uh, get out there yeah. and try them. Um, well, you're most welcome. <laughs> I, I I've got you on uh, camera saying that, so I'll, I'll show up at your doorstep uh, one day, just knocking. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so so let's talk about that. That was the hist, you know, kind of the recent brief history of beer in the Netherlands, um, with some unique styles, with some macro styles. Uh, I find it interesting that in the history of American beer, uh, I, I'm going to say we, the royal we, but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the U.S. travelers in the let's say let's just say the '60s for round numbers, they would go to Europe, discover this amazing beer, come back and and decide that I want to try brewing this at home because our options are limited here, um, and that really spurred our American uh, craft beer movement. That you know, and and people can argue this all day long, but I'm just going to say again for round numbers, we can trace the route back to. Uh, uh, the 60s uh, really got got a little bit of steam in the 80s, started getting some momentum in the 90s and 2000s. It just took off. Um, and again, round numbers. If anyone wants to argue with me, you have to buy me a beer. But um, but that was the the kind of the, the general timeline of uh, the American craft beer awakening. What I find interesting is, is we Americans went to Europe to become inspired by the beer you have. And what I'm hearing now from people all around the world is is now uh, people in Europe are becoming inspired by the beer in the U.S. and coming back yes. to their country and trying to relate that. What, what do you make of that story? Oh, in one point, it's very it, like, uh, the same thing. It's it, um, it, it's funny. I mean, um, uh, because actually, one of the most of the American styles are. Uh, Based on European styles, so for instance, uh, India Pale Ale is an old British style, but uh, I mean it's kind of been um, boosted by American brewers with the uh, American hops, and that's what made it popular. And um, I guess um, before uh, American brewers decided to do that, no one, um, I guess, the only uh, barrel aged. stout were the old ones uh, uh, that were, that actually gave the name to um, uh, imperial stout uh, so the stouts that went in barrels and were bro- shipped to russia i i find it interesting that you know like like you're saying we're kind of adding to the story of of you know we americans take this british style beer and add our own unique ingredients it becomes popular and then and the next thing you know it's going back to europe uh i had a conversation with a gal from uh, ninkasi brewing in lyon france uh talking about they're making their french ipa but in in typical fashion they're they were taking the ipa but they're using their ingredients they're using like aramis hops or something like that where you're getting these more I'm not going to say unique, uh, that might be a little strong, but using more French ingredients to get that French flavor, which will be very different from an American IPA, uh, American West Coast IPA. It would be very different from a British IPA. Um, are you are you seeing, you know, just using the, you know, the IPA as an example, are you seeing that example of this beer style being brewed in different parts around Europe with 
endemic ingredients? Um, you mean the India Pale Ale? If I if I found yeah, it somewhere example. else, there's one example. Um, well, I guess there's there's Belgian IPAs, and they have the the particular Belgium yeast. So the yeast you mm-hmm. find in a saison yeah. is then in a an IPA, and well, that's interestingly different. Uh, I personally do not like it, but uh, it's interesting. So like you have yeah. an IPA, but then with the the horse blanket flavor in it. Yeah. 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 It, I, I find some of those flavors a little competing, like, um, in the Northwest, I, again, I'm using the word we very, um, very liberally, but I'll say we came up with a, uh, black IPA or the Cascadian dark ale. And it's just these dark roasted mm-hmm. stout like grains with, with the hops of an IPA. And it was a great idea, but it just was a little too much for my palate, but, I love that. I love that they're trying, and I and I love mm. the idea of carving out our own unique take and flavor on this the style that kind of connects us together. If you know what I mean, I do. Um, I actually like um, uh, like IPAs. Um, the thing I needed to get used to is like it's kind of contradictory. I mean, it's black and it's a pale ale. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think um, that's I why uh, some people started naming it uh, the Cascadian Dark Ale. It, it's kind of like a homage to the Northwest with Cascadia, but uh, but yeah, it, it, a black pale ale is you know <laughs> kind of an oxymoron. But um, so what? Where are we in, in the the state of the craft beer movement or the the just the beer culture in the Netherlands now? You know, today, what what is it like? Um, well, a bit uh, similar to the United States, but also a bit different. Uh, we still have a str- uh, like we have Bach beer, which is uh, part of our culture. So uh, every year, a lot of brewers uh, at, uh, in the in the fall, a lot of brewers make a bock, and there's also a large bock beer festival in Amsterdam, uh, which is very popular. And they have a, a competition for who makes the best bock beer this year. Um, and uh, well, Belgian beers still ha- are very popular, and I guess that's the, those beers are also more accessible to uh, for craft brewers to start getting into. Uh, craft beer and uh, last couple of years German beers have been growing in interest and also mm. the, um, the 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 lager style beers and I guess that's also because uh, the the larger manufacturers they uh, keep on moving uh, uh, increasing their prices and uh, so people also start looking for alternatives uh, which they can find in uh, cheaper, uh, German lagers and uh, pilsners. You know, one of the things, uh, kind of one of the patterns I've noticed in having these conversations with people around the world is, are you know those cultures that have a much longer history, um, not always, but oftentimes are are more respectful of tradition. Um, and when we get into that balance of tradition versus innovation. Some of these uh, uh, longer-lived cultures lean more toward tradition, uh, but uh, you, know, you mentioned it before. But now, uh, all the beers from the U.S. are very uh, 
innovation driven and are coming back to the to Europe to create this new influence, this new wave of craft beer. Where do you see the Netherlands kind of on that continuum between um, tradition and innovation? Um, well, I think we're uh, kind of the same as in the United States. Most of the brewers are not bound by the same traditions as German and Belgian brewers are. Um, I mean, there's brewers in the uh, Germany and Belgium who uh, uh, threw the traditions overboard and started uh uh, to brew new styles and uh, put more innovation in their beers. Um, uh, but like we um, in the Netherlands, there wasn't like the same culture as in Germany or in Belgium, uh, which kind of like uh, bound us. So the, the breweries that started to brew craft beer, uh, they had no uh, local tradition to fall back on, only the either the traditions from our neighbors or the tradition from the United States from far away, which is was uh, a popular and upcoming uh, style of beer. Uh, so most of them started to be inspired by United States brewers. Is there more of a sense of, of um, creativity and, and uh, open openness to new things as a general cultural element in the Netherlands? Uh, that, in combination with a very entrepreneurial spirit. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, so I guess that's one of the main reasons we went from 20 to 800 breweries in such a short period of time. And so, uh, well, so now is a fantastic time to go drink some beer in the Netherlands. So there's plenty of beer. <laughs> uh, so yes, I guess concerning uh, considering well considering craft beer, more and more uh, bottle shops, more and more bars, they started to get more taps and bring more beers. Um, in uh, hospitality, we do have a system which kind of held the hospitality back because uh, banks have traditionally always been reluctant to lend money to hospitality businesses. So mm. a lot of uh, people who wanted to start a bar had to turn to breweries and the breweries would lend them their money uh, and would also uh, pay for part of the inventory for of the bar. But then uh, as a uh, uh, result, they had to sign a contract uh, which, only, which uh, made them only sell the beers of those breweries. Gotcha. So, uh, thank you. I was uh, going to ask you about this next. I mean, w what kind of access is there for these smaller brewers to take car carve out their slice of of the collective pie? Do, uh, do they have well, any options would, at this point? Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, they have to go to the bottle shops and the the more the, the independent uh, bars or bars who do not have such strict contracts and. I think a lot has changed in the last five years. Five years, um, the the the, the breweries such as AB and Beth and Heineken, they started to hop on the 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 wagon of craft beer. So they took over some craft brew, local craft breweries, and uh, I guess that also uh, and they did that because the bars who were bound by the contracts started to ask uh, Heineken ABF like we need 
we need to be able to serve craft beer because that's what the public is asking. And, yeah. um, so they either uh, got new contracts, which would allow them to bring beers outside of their contract, or they would uh, get beer through ABM for Heineken um, from the uh, brewers they have taken knowledge. over. Well, to your best knowledge, how did uh, AB and Bev and Heineken respond to this demand for um, more craft beer? I mean, did they open up space? Did they guard it fiercely? How did that play out from your point of view? Well, I think they start tried to uh, prevent it at the beginning. And when they realized they couldn't, they joined it and started to take over breweries. So if you can't if you can't beat them, join them and then beat them. If you can't beat them, take them over, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I, yeah, and forgive me for sounding a little skeptical right there, huh? but it, there's a trend that that uh, you know, or a pattern that emerges from that whole scenario, and it just kind of repeats itself. But that's a different conversation for a different day, I suppose. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, f- f- go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think you're about to say something. I guess it's also a bit of uh, in, in waves. I, I heard that um, uh, AB InBev is actually planning to get rid of some of those craft breweries. Mm. So I guess they try and get return back to cheap Pilsner. Uh, well, well <laughs> cheap but, uh, isn't for their um, what they think is cheap then. Well, it's it's funny to just kind of know that the 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 greater cycles of things, you know, I'll, I'll see in the Northwest, uh, you have all 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 of us quote unquote beer enlightened people who love our craft beer, have loved our craft beer for decades and decades and decades. Um, you'll still see that people will go out and just have a a, a cheap mass produced lager just because it's quick and easy, and, and so there's a little bit of romance heading back in that direction uh, to certain. Um, to certain brands that, that I've noticed and, and, uh, but I think all in all, it, it's all here to stay. Uh, and it's just kind of funny to see how it just kind of the pendulum swings back and forth. Mm. Well, I agree. I think it's here to stay. Um, but I guess there's also uh, a lot of people who have some sort of a brand loyalty. So, I mean, um, uh, if you, nowadays you see, for instance, you see Guinness everywhere, uh, Guinness is uh, always has been a popular beer, and I guess mm-hmm. now it's in it's popular in the Netherlands as well. And uh, well, um, uh, so I guess it's just like uh, um, most of the craft beer, uh, the people who enjoy craft beer in the Netherlands, um, they like to try as lot of uh, a lot of different beers as possible. So they just move on from a, a beer they they tried before, but now, uh, and I guess that's a good thing. Now we've moved a bit on from a phase where even people who enjoy craft beer, they kind of stay loyal to the breweries they think are good, and they try the the beers they they know they they're good. Yeah, yeah, I, and I I can speak for myself. I I see that same trend, and but I'll speak for myself. Um, I take it on as a personal duty to try as much beer as I can. But I I, I definitely have some of my favorites. You know that some that I've been visiting since the you know the nineties and, and, and beers that I've fallen in love with that I don't drink every day, but I go back to on occasion just because it has such a, a great memory. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of loyalty there too. Um, um, 
speaking more to uh, people traveling to the Netherlands to uh, to whether they're they're on vacation and you know or traveling through Europe, but if if I and anyone else were to travel to the Netherlands to enjoy a beer, enjoy some food, what what would how would you describe that experience to someone who's never done that before? Um, it it kind of depends on on where you're going. Um, I guess like the larger cities, they have a lot of access to craft beer and to some breweries you can actually visit. And I would definitely advise anyone who wants to uh, learn more, uh, experience Dutch craft beer to at least go to the town of Haarlem, which is one of the oldest uh, craft beer cities. And they have two uh, magnificent uh, craft breweries, or actually one of them recently has been taken over by, by Swingles. So they are larger factory brewers as well, but their beers are still good. And they're called mm. Altje. And there's another brewery, uh, Jopa, and their brewery is in an old church. And uh, it's a beautiful location, and they have some good beers. So it's, especially in the summer, it's it's a very nice experience. And so what, you know, what kind of, are, are we looking at all the usual European beers, uh, some of the American um, usual suspects, or are there other well, you you talked about some of the unique beers that someone might find from um, in the Netherlands uh, a little bit ago. Let mm-hmm. me ask a better question then. Uh, so, if if I were to show up tomorrow and say, "Mahua, let's go have a beer and some and a bite to eat," what kind of food would we expect to come along or to go along with the beers that you'd take me to see? Uh, but I guess most of the uh, more craft beer orientated places do have like a a simple menu so more like a a bistro kind of menu so Mm -hmm. um and some of them are uh, have like are specially themed for instance that they're they only serve vegan food um so uh, and there's i think there's one or two restaurants who like specialize in beer menus so you could get, get there and um get um um, a menu which has like special beers for every course that you have instead of wine. And and so what what you mentioned like that bistro? Uh, what what kind of food do they serve? Um, you know, if um, I've never been to the Netherlands, but for anyone who's never been there, you know, what kind of food are we looking at? Like like in the U.S., if you visited me, we'd go down the street to a brewery and you know, almost guaranteed you're going to have a burger. You're going to have some wings, some fries, you know, a typical American pub food. What is typical Dutch pub food? Um, well, typical Dutch food. One of the tip, most typical Dutch um, pub foods are actually snacks. So have you ever heard of bitterballen? No. Uh, 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 or uh, croquettes? Yes, I love croquettes. Uh. So it I mean a bitter ball is actually a small croquette, so in the shape of a ball. So it's okay. it's um, uh, it's it's a battered uh, beef sauce, um, and you get it served uh, deep fried. So th- that's like one of the most typical snacks in a Dutch bar, um, and the bars that serve food uh, usually serve a simple menu such as uh, a burger or a steak or salmon and fries or something like that. 
Um, well, yeah, well, and I've spoken to uh, a, a, a brewer I've actually met in the Netherlands and uh, he was American, but his family is, is Dutch. So he, he went back to the Netherlands. Um, but he told me that, uh, that there, and please correct me if I have this wrong, but uh, with your fries and even with your burger, you use a lot more mayonnaise with that, especially to dip your fries into. Is that still a thing? Oh or yes. Is that, is that if you're accurate? in the if you're in if you're in the Netherlands, you have to have mayonnaise with your fries. <laughs> and 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 I can just feel uh, a lot of Americans kind of cringing because there's there there are those of us who love mayonnaise and those of us who do not like mayonnaise at all. Um, uh, and I, I'm I'm more in that latter camp. I'm not a huge fan of mayonnaise, but in the name of science, I tried uh, fries with mayonnaise one day, and you know, frankly, it was actually really good. Mm. Uh, I guess, and, and at the moment, there's a new kind of hype, and it's called Yopen sauce, or Yopi sauce, and uh, it's it's mayonnaise with um, a bit of tomato sauce, and onions, and some other spices, and um, well, um, people like it a lot. So you, you, nowadays, you see it everywhere. To, and to me, that just sounds like a a, a different kind of aioli. And of course, aioli is just fancy mayonnaise, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I, that, that sounds, that sounds wonderful actually. Uh, well, yeah, but then only without the garlic, I guess, because aioli has huge amounts of garlic. Yeah. Well, I like it, know, but right. I, uh, I like garlic. People don't like me after I've had garlic, but you know, still, <laughs> um, you know, from, from your perspective, cause you know, you, you're, you're, uh, importing beer, uh, and you have, and you've been part of the beer world for a while from your, from your experience, what does it take or how do you, I'm sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. How do you define and then deliver a great beer experience and not just, not just a Dutch beer experience, but a international beer experience? Uh, well, for me personally, that would be, uh, a different, a lot of bi different beers uh, with a story. I, mean, I, I like a, a craft beer that has a story. Um, so either there's some history behind it, so from the brewery or the beer itself, um, and uh, it's it, it has some original flavors, maybe some some complex layers of flavors, and. Uh, some food with it, but not like the uh, huge amounts of full plates of food, but more like um, small dishes with um, uh, well, foods that comp either complement or totally contradict the beer that you're drinking, but still um, kind of like make it a unique flavor experience. Yeah. I like that idea. I, I, um, especially as I get older, I, I don't love going out to eat and getting full and walking out of there thinking, Oh, I, I had too much. I, I don't like that. And I used to do that all the time when I was younger and, and could handle all those excess calories. But now that I'm older and supposedly wiser, I, I try to avoid that. But, but I found doing the snacks, uh, along with, you know, beers is, is a good way to go. 
No, that, that's that's what I love. I mean, I mean, I've experienced the, the other side as well, especially in Germany. They, they like large portions as well over there. And if you go to Bavaria, uh, well, you have like these huge schnitzels with um, uh, fried potatoes and uh, uh, a, a thick um, cabbage. And then you mm -hmm. get a, a, li a liter of uh, Hefeweizen and it just like fills up on top yeah. of the meal. Yeah. I, so I, like, and, and my experiences along those lines, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's delicious. But I really uh, loved when I was in Spain years ago, uh, having the, the tradition of tapas y cañas, having the, the small plates and these small beers that, you know, you drink them quickly so they don't warm up. They, they're always fresh and they're always you know, coming out, um, I, I preferred that. That was way more fun. Oh, yeah. You can make me happy with that one as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like it. Uh, uh, and like you can do that with any kind of kitchen. You can just like make small dishes and, well, you know, have, add some uh, special beers to any special meal and you can have a great experience. Yeah. Um, for anyone uh, who's listening, who's who doesn't know a lot about the Netherlands, who's never been to the Netherlands, and I include myself in that one. What what do you think is important for the rest of us to know and understand about about the Netherlands and the in the beer and 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 all that? Um well, uh, you can find any style of beer in the Netherlands. So it, it, as I said, it doesn't have a very specific tradition, but you can find some uh, traditional Dutch beers. Um, and uh, as I said, we have a larger snack culture than like a very culinary culture. Uh, so if you want like the total culinary beer and food experience, you need to really look hard where you're going. Uh, but if you just want like the typical Dutch bar experience, you can just go to any bar which has some good beers and then order a, a plate of uh, cheeses and sausages or some bitterballen. And well, that's the Dutch experience. That sounds fantastic. So as a kind of a, a wind down uh, question series, um, uh, that's independent of Netherlands, but of course this is all just your experience, but um Tomorrow, uh, because of your service to uh, beer culture, tomorrow uh, we are going to make you the king of the beer world for an entire day. Oh wow! What would be the <laughs> what would be the first thing you would change? Ooh, that's a difficult question. What would be the first thing I would change? Um, in the Netherlands, I would uh, try to. Uh, break through the rule where like the 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 the, the amount of power that the larger uh, breweries have so uh maybe like uh, create a fund where people who would like to start a, um, a hospitality uh, a bar serving craft beer uh, could get funds instead of having to turn to one of those breweries so is that is the goal of that to just have equal access to a variety of beers for consumers? Yes, to create it, a more equal to break up to, the, the control. Uh, the the yes to, to break yeah. the control and to create a more equal playing field. Fantastic. Well, and of course, being a, a small business owner yourself, I mean that that's just you know 
you know, how, how do you get big in the first place? Will you start small? So let's give everyone a chance. Um, yeah, true. <laughs> so at, at the end of your, your Royal day, uh, we're going to send you anywhere that you want to go on earth and you can have any beer and any food. Where would you go and what would you have? Uh, any beer, any food. Another very difficult question. <laughs> um, well, we, we had uh, months of um, of cold and rainy weather, so I probably would go to uh, a nice um, a, a nice sunny area um, where they have a lot of craft beer. I said I like to try a lot of craft beer, so I wouldn't be happy with an area that just has one style of beer, even if I would like to beer. So. Uh, I guess in general, just like a, a nice tropical environment with a lot of craft beer. <laughs> I like it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do my best to meet you there. That sounds perfect. Uh, oh, we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then kind of like the last big question I have for you is, is why does good beer matter so much to you? Um, beer. Uh, it's not just uh, a tasty drink. Uh, beer stands for uh, friendship, um, uh, which you experience together uh, with a good glass of craft beer. Uh, beer can be combined with a lot of uh, foods. So beer stands for um, gezelligheid. It's a typical Dutch word for coziness. Um, and I guess, uh, so it stands for special experience with special people for me and that's how i view the craft beer world so we, um, me i still have uh, a day job as well um, all kinds of beers is something i do on the side as a hobby uh, but since i started doing this i've met so many uh, different people who are either working in a bar or owning a bar or owning a bottle shop and uh, those are all uh, all special people who uh, have a story to tell, uh, and uh, we share the same love, which is love for craft beer. And uh, those are mostly very nice people who are also very interested in their fellow humans, uh, especially fellow humans who like craft beer. So um, it's a one the, the world of craft beer is a wonderful world, and I enjoy every minute of being in it. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and that's a big reason why I do this, um, is just to, just to meet that. I, I call it the tribe. Uh, I, I'm just meeting my tribe from different parts of the world because it, it's an amazing thing. Uh, for, for anyone who, uh, wants to learn more either about, uh, about, uh, your company, all about beers or, or even investigate even further into uh, Dutch beer culture, uh, where would you send them? Where can they connect with you if, if they wanted to? Um, well, all kinds of beers is uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And we also have a website. And, um, and you can find my contact details over there. So you can either contact me through um, Instagram or Facebook or uh, find my email and send me a message. Awesome. 
Um, and and I guess last thing is, do you have any final words of wisdom or any calls to action for anyone listening? Um, well, um, try a lot of beers. And um, if you like a beer, um, try it a couple of times more. Support your local brewery. Fantastic. Uh, Michiel, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, kind of sharing, you know, giving us a glimpse into the window into Dutch culture. And I, um, I, I feel, I, I feel, um, ashamed is not the right word. I, I'm sorry that I don't know more about the Dutch culture and, and that's, but, uh, but that was part of my interest in wanting to talk to, to you and other people in different parts is I, I want to know what it's like in these different cultures to have this beer and have this international culture, but, but a very unique specific take on that and international culture being the, the beer culture. But, um, thank you for sharing, uh, your, your experience and your, and your life with, uh, within the Dutch beer culture with us. Uh, oh, you're very welcome. And, uh, I hope you, you will be able to visit, uh, shortly. I'll be most happy to well uh, join you for a beer and um, good food, and and some good croquettes. I hope. Oh I'm, yeah, I'm bitterball. Eh? <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah. So bitterball. I have uh, to work on my uh, my language and pronunciation for sure. And good beers. Uh, well, well, we'll go on a tour. Absolutely. That's good. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you again. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, have a good afternoon it never ceases to amaze me that beer culture is a global thing as different as we are we're still very much alike but while trends spread across the planet those differences inspire us to keep beer interesting and new i would argue that it's these differences that connect us together in the next episode we head to munich where there's a school and a brewery that has been defining beer culture for nearly 1,000 years I'm on a virtual tour of the craft and culture of beer around the globe. I've put Good Beer Matters on video so I can take you along for the ride. If you know of a person, a place, or a beer story that needs to be told, let me know. Meanwhile, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let your world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.